getting old when you fall down and on your tummy and you can't get up and you try to rock yourself to get up and then you end up rocking yourself to sleep. Um, the doctor tells you that you need to stop those little intimate dinners for two unless there's somebody eating with you. Um, that, uh, that, uh, that, that jogging suit that you bought is brown because it doesn't show gravy stains. Um, uh, also, so I'll give you, um, uh, you know, so in other words, well, the gravy stains, all right. Um, you know you're old when you put a um, Bermuda shorts on uh, with, at, at a, um, and a Bermuda short on and, and uh, you go to Walmart and some uh, smart aleck kid comes up to you and wants to know if you're riding a chicken. Um, and there's another one here too. Uh, okay, that you're, you go to your doctor and the doctor tells you you need to get into an exercise plan and you say you cannot because when you start getting exercise you end up burning fat and it smells like bacon and you got to go have some biscuits and gravy or something like that. Anyway, one other thing and I'll, I'll quit this because this is not going too well. An elderly, an elderly woman died last month and having never been married she, she requested no male pallbearers. In her handwriting instructions for her memorial service, she wrote, they wouldn't take me out while I was alive, and I don't want them to take me out when I'm dead. So anyway, so. so. <laughs> eh, well, all right, so I don't know. Well, uh, in chapter 6, let me re read this to you, these verses. And, uh, and here's, here's what it says. Listen to Paul. Paul says this. He says, I dare any of you having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do not appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge. I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law because one against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? No, you yourself do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. Let's pray. Well, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand what these words say to us. And so, Father, I simply pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. You're our strength. You're our redemption. You're everything to us, Father. And, Lord, we want to learn how to live this life that you have given us in the name of Jesus. So I pray tonight that you'd be with us and may my words be your words and so lord i pray that the holy spirit would just have his way tonight and i ask that in christ's name and for his sake amen the more and more in depth that we get into the book of first corinthians the more and more we see paul literally drawing a line right down the middle that there's a huge difference and 
and what many people call Christians and other people don't. I wish I could say that I believe that everybody in the church is saved, but I can't say that. I don't, I, and I, I'm talking about the church in general. Jesus one time told a parable of a man who goes out and he plants his crops and he plants a, a, a field uh, and, and the enemy comes at night and he sows tares in that field. And, he, and he, he goes on to tell in that parable that when the man comes back and he sees these tares and someone suggests to him, so we need to go ahead and pull these tares out, you know, he said, no, let them stay there because they'll uproot the others. And the day will come when we'll pull the tares. And what's he saying to us? He's saying the day will come when we will really know who's saved and who's not. That's between us and the Lord. Now, the Bible does teach us that in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have been written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God in order that you may know you have eternal life. So, yes, you can know. But how do you know? You know what if you've done what Jesus has told you to do. And he never goes back on his word. His word is forever settled in the heavens. Every time you see a rainbow, that's what the rainbow really stands for. It stands for the fact that God never goes back on his word. Yes, it does stand for Noah that he's not going to flood the earth anymore. But more than important than anything else, as it says in, in, in the book of Jude, that God never lies. He never does. Why do I believe in the security of the believer? Why do I believe that once a person really comes to know Jesus and they're saved, and what it says in John 6, 37, all that my Father gives me and will come unto me, and he that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And what it says in John 10, 27, when it says that they shall never perish, neither can any man pluck them out of my hand, because it's his word, and his word, he tells us he'll never go back on his word. And so I believe that with all my heart. And so Paul draws a line. He draws a line first. He gives us three types of people. He tells us first that there's a spiritual, there is the, the, there's a spiritual person who judges all things. He tells us that there is, there is the carnal person. He goes to chapter 3, tells us they're carnal. Who's that? That's a person who maybe they come to know Jesus Christ, but they're not living in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. They don't have the joy of the Lord. They don't have the spirit of the Lord. They, they, their prayer life is really weak. They, they never study the Bible. Uh, their church attendance is probably really sporadic and everything else. And, why, why, you know, and what's the problem with that? The problem is that with that is that when things start happening in their life, they don't know how to handle it. And that's the whole purpose of getting close to God. That I might know him and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering uh, and even unto death is what it, the word says. And so it's saying to us simply this. It's saying I need to get close as I possibly can. What's the, one of the reasons that people don't have joy? They don't have joy because Psalm 16 says, In his presence is fullness of joy, in his right hand is pleasures forevermore. What does that mean? That means I never get in his presence if I'm not joyful and rejoicing. And so he does this, and then he talks about the natural man. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit for they're spiritually discerned. And, and it goes on to say, neither can he know them. So the person who has never come to Christ is in the natural. The unbeliever cannot know the things of Christ. I've, had, I've met people that say, well, I've read the Bible. And, you know, well, but have you come to Jesus? No, then you're not going to understand it. I don't care who you are. The Holy Spirit's got to come in. It's got to change you. Something's got to take place inside your life that takes this word and illuminates it and makes it so that you can know what thus saith the Lord. So Paul now goes, we just went last week, we did chapter 5, and chapter 5 he talks about the fact, he talks about the fact that he talked about the immorality being rebuked. They had a man in the church 
that was, that was living with his stepmother. And I'm talking about having relations with his stepmother. And so Paul goes in and he condemns it. And he tells them, and the biggest thing is, he said that the church was not doing anything about it. In other words, they were just letting him come to church. Everything was just going along and nobody tried to correct him. When I, you know, and I had somebody this week send me an email. I get those lovely emails sometimes. And they tell me, says this, that, you know, well, we're, we're, we're as Christians, we're not supposed to judge. That's Matthew 7. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus did not mean we're not supposed to judge. Because he tells us over in the book of 1 John, he tells us there, if you see your brother sin a sin that's not unto death, we're to go to him. And we're to say, man, why are you acting like a nut for? And you're, you was, who knows that you won't save his soul is what it says. Jesus meant that I take my things, what I, how I see things, and I judge other people by the things I said, not by the word of God. And so... He's saying to us that if a person is doing something that is contrary to the word of God, I have a responsibility to go to him. That's what Ezekiel's talking about. Ezekiel's talking about the fact that the watchman sitting on the wall, if he doesn't go warn those people, God will not only have the, do something with them, but he will also go to the watchman and say, their blood is going to be upon your hands. We have a responsibility to tell other people. Now, here's the thing. I wrote to one lady this week, and I told him simply this. I said, I know that when I, I said, there's two things I stand on. One, I, I'm supposed to love people as a Christian, and the other is, I'm supposed to stand on his word. But when I stand on the word of God, there are going to be people who are not going to like it. Okay? You know, they're not going to like it. And when God calls something in the, in the word a sin, I have no choice but to call it a sin. Now, you can go get you another translation. You can, you can call it what you want to. I mean, I, I listen, somebody gave me a, a tape one time and said, would you listen to this? Because a young guy who was supposed to be a preacher that, that went to a college and, and the seminary and the whole thing, and he preached the message. And I said that because we knew the, the young man. And he preached the message. And here's what he said. He said that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was a lack of hospitality. I don't think so. God didn't go down there and blow that place apart and burn it down because it was a lack of hospitality. Read it. It says in there that it was because of homosexuality. What it says. Now, so we come to chapter 6. In chapter 6, Paul deals with another situation. Now, here's the problem. The problem that Paul dealt with in chapter 5 was not only that this guy was living with his stepmother, and doing things he shouldn't be doing, and he tells them to cast him out of the church, ostracize him, and, and, you know, if he won't listen, and if he won't, you know, and he actually tells them to judge them, uh, judge him. He said, I have already judged him and found him guilty, even though I'm not there. But he tells them simply that you, 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 you kick him out of the church because he wouldn't do he wasn't doing what he's supposed to do, and that you go back, and then he tells them to go back to him and, and to bring him back in the church after he's repented of this. See, the object is not to destroy him. The object is to save his soul. And one of these days when we stand in front of God, we're going to understand this stuff. We're not going to, we don't understand it right now, maybe. But we're standing on the brink of, of life and death. And if this person doesn't do what's right, you know, they could lose their, their very soul. And so he, in a chapter in the second book of Corinthians, he tells them to go and they bring the guy back in because he repented of it. That's the object of it. It's not to destroy anybody. 
But here's the problem. The real problem that Paul was at after was the church was allowing things to go on. Nobody would speak up. Now, I was reading, it's interesting. I was reading a story uh, this afternoon. And the story is, why are, why are we losing so many people in the church? Why are, there, why, are we, why are we losing people that were once really faithful to the church and we're losing them now? And, and, and the first thing they mention is this. Because of corruption in the church. That's what they're seeing. I'm just telling you what the story said. It said there was corruption in the church. But now here it goes on a little farther. It says this. And the church wouldn't do anything about it. That's exactly what he, Paul's talking about here. The Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So... You know, if I'm doing something wrong, that's why the Bible, you know, how wonderful it is that God loves us so much that even when I screw up and I do things wrong, I can run to him. That's what Hebrews talks about. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. Okay, I need, I need I, I, you know, when I'm having trouble, whatever, I, you know, I, I need grace in that time of need. But when do I need mercy? I need mercy when I've sinned. But you know what? When my children do something I don't want them to do, I want them to come to me and say, Dad, I want you to know something. I messed up. I don't want them to run from me. That's exactly the same thing God wants from us. And so Paul starts writing to this. And he tells them that one of the things they were doing that was wrong, they were, rather than handling things in the church, they were taking them to the law. They were taking them to a, a, a natural clinic or a, a, a natural judge or somebody, an unbelieving judge or whatever, to get to settle this thing. Christians forbidden to go to law against other Christians is what it's saying. Now, remember what he said. Remember one of the things he said over in the fifth chapter. He's saying this, who do, but who, who do Christians judge? If you say, Lee, okay, it's all right. To, if you judge, who do you judge? You judge those within the body. We don't judge those outside the, outside the doors. Those are unbelievers. They're doing a good job sinning. And that's what they're, you know, they're doing whatever they need to do. And, uh, you know, they have never come to Christ, and so we don't judge them. And yet he tells us that we can still have fellowship with those people because if we don't have fellowship with them, we can never win them. But to allow somebody in the church to be sitting next to them or whatever and knowing fact that they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, we have a responsibility to go to them and say, hey, you can't do this lovingly. Now, just this week, I heard a man who accumulated a large sum of money. He accumulated somewhere in the neighborhood of $700,000. A so-called friend of his talked to him into investing that certain company in bitcoins. Now, here's, here's what he did. He, he, he didn't know the people. He, he talked him into going to these people and talking to them. So he did talk to them. He hadn't, he hadn't really decided to do it. The friend did not ask but went ahead and invested this other man's money in this company in bitcoins. The friend did not ask but went ahead and investing the other man's money in the company. And he, and he selected without his permission that he selected the company. The friend did. The man said this, and this was his exact words. Not the friend, but the man who had the 700,000. His exact words were this. 
He said, I watched it all in three seconds. All $700,000 of it was gone. It was, it was, and it was irretrievable. And nothing he could do about it. Gone. How I listened to this, I was listening to this on the radio. And in this, his question to the financial guy on the radio, this is a Christian radio program, comes on about 9 or 10. This guy does nothing but finances. And he talks to people, but he uses a lot of scripture and things. He's not, you know, I, I like, what's his name? It comes on in the afternoons. What's his name? Uh, who? Yeah, Dave Ramsey. But Dave, Ram- and Dave Ramsey, he seems to be a Christian and everything. But, but this guy really gives him Christian. He really comes to the word and uses some things. Anyway, I, I don't know what his name is. Uh, but uh, so his question to the financial guy on the radio was it be all right for him, a Christian, to take this guy to court and sue him for the $700,000? And evidently, this guy was pretty, the other guy was pretty well off. So he had the funds if he really wanted to do that. And evidently, the other guy was well off and had plenty of money. The radio host asked the question was the other guy a believer? Was he a believer? And that he, was, that he was going to sue. He said he wasn't for sure, but he thought that he was a believer. And he asked, could he go to him and try to recover the money by taking him to court? He then asked, could he go to him and try to recover the money without going to court? It's what he asked him back. Could you go to him and you, all, you try to recover this money without going to court? And he said he didn't think so. So we're now in the territory of Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 and verse 17. Because what does that tell us to do? It tells us to do this. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. See, this is the problem we got in the church. It's so easy for us to talk about people behind their back. It's so easy to say things or talk about them when they're not around. But to confront somebody, what, that's what Jesus tells us to do. To go to them face to face and say, hey man, you and I need to talk. That's the difference. That's what Jesus, this is what Jesus did. And this is what we're supposed to do. And so, and, and so as a result of that, it says that, and, and, to t- uh, and if he hears you, you have gained your brother. Okay, what if he doesn't listen? Verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Then he goes on to say, and if he refuses to hear them, then tell him to the church. See, we've lost this in the church. We've lost this because we care too much about what they think out there. Oh, they would tell everybody going to you, you hear what they did down there at that church. And what they don't understand is what we're really trying to do. We're trying to help this person to not get into trouble with the Lord because you say, well, will he be lost again? I don't think he'll be lost again, but let me tell you something, what the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews says, it says, or the tw- either 10th or 12th, I can't remember. Anyway, it says this, whom the Lord loves, and he loves this person even though they're doing something wrong, he chastises. And if you won't listen, then he does what? He not only chastises, but then it goes up a little farther, and he says simply, he, he, he first, first thing he says he actually does he says simply uh, that he, uh, that he uh, speaks to him. Now, nah, I can't think what I'm, you know, my, my brain is like Swiss cheese anymore. Uh, he, says he, uh, he says he rebukes him. 
The same thing you do with your children. If your children are not, you don't just pick them up and dust their britches off. You, you, you tell them, you know, you talk to them. Say, well, you're acting like, you know, what are you doing this for? Whatever. You rebuke them. Then if they won't listen, what does God do? He chastens. He chastens. What does that mean? He turns the heat up. I, I think there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people walking around today that I see, they say they're Christians, they're not happy, they don't have the joy and the peace in their life. Why or why? Because they've done something and they've not given it back to the Lord. So he chastens them. And finally, if you don't do that, he'll, he'll scourge you. What does it mean to scourge you? Well, go over and read old Father over in the book of Corinthians and he tells us that there are some people, he says there are some people that sleep and there, some people are sick among you, some asleep. I don't believe God caused you to be sick, but once he draws his hand, Satan moves in, and he can cause you to be sick. And then he says this. He says, some of you sleep. What does that mean? He's saying, ah, we're not going to do this anymore. You won't listen to anybody. You won't repent of this. We're going to take you home. That's what God does. See, we're talking about a God that wants to be active in people's lives. He's not some deity off in space somewhere. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to walk with you. And so, and so, um, so he, he does this. And so, so over, he said, more of your brother sins against you. Go tell him his fault. And then he finally says in verse 17, if he refuses to hear them, tell him to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. In other words, he's got to be out of the church. You say, boy, Lee, that would be hard. Yes, it would be hard to do. But this is what Scripture says. Why? Because we're dealing with somebody's soul. That's what we're dealing with. And the authority to do this is found in Matthew 18 and, and verse 20. Because what does it say in 18:20? It says, surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you shall agree as earth concerning anything that they may ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Verse 20, for where there are two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them, and there is a group, and their entire ministry is bringing. And, and, and so as a result, gathered together in my name, there in the midst of them. What's he saying? Because you're doing this in what the scriptures say, and you're doing it in my name, it's bound. Now, there's actually a group, and this is what this man suggested. There's actually a, a group that has an entire ministry of bringing Christians back together, again, especially those who are the problem is financial restitution. Now, the question is, when two brothers and sisters have a difference and need to come back together for things to reconcile with one another, where is the hope that this happens? Well, listen to what it says over in verse 18 and, and first, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 and 20. Um, is, yeah, 18 through 20. Because he, he tells us, eh, was that what I wanted to do? Uh, uh, yeah, is it First uh, Corinthians 18? Yeah, okay. He says, yeah, 18, all right, he says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he commits sexual immorality sins against his own, own body. He goes on to say, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, for whom you have of God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which, which are God's. And so what's it, what's it mean is that we have been called to do what? To glorify God. Let me just say this to you. The world loves to see, I, I, I don't want to go two ways on this, because the Lord loves to see those who claim to know the Lord fail. And they love to see division in a the church. They love it. I'm afraid. 
Now, I really do believe that deep inside, there's a lot of people out there that are really rooting for you, even though they would never come up and say that. And what they're really hoping for, they're hoping that you're the real deal. We see so many phonies and people that are just literally not what they said they were. We, all these politics. What's, what's happening in Washington, D.C. right now? What a disgrace. And no wonder we, we got problems with inflation and all the other things. I don't see how they get anything done. They're so inbiting and biting with one another and everything else and the things that are happening, lying with one another. And that's all they talk. That's all we ever hear. And the news is just full of it. But when it moves into the church, man, what a, what a black mark it can leave. There's a former Christian church in Lexington. And at one time, they were running about 1,500 people. The division, they had a division over finances and who was in charge spilled over and it went on TV, it went in the newspapers until the church finally closed. They locked the doors. I remember just going over there. I was over there close one day and I just drove over and sitting in her parking lot. And there was a magnificent, here was this magnificent sanctuary and a two-story educational building, huge building. And I sit there for a while and I just thought, what a, what a black mark this is on the kingdom of God. How sad and what a mark of what it would be upon God's kingdom. What should have happened? Well, I think what should have happened, here's what should have happened. It should Somebody has stepped up to the plate and here's what they should have done. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 7, listen to what it says. Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you rather accept wrong? Why don't you rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? Why in the world would anybody accept wrong? Why in the world would anybody let themselves be cheated? If they thought that it was, if what they were going to do would hurt the kingdom of God, hurt the message of Scripture to reach people, it would bring a mark, a shadow over the church and cause the church, then they would rather do that than let it happen to the church. That's why. How many people turned back from that church election? How many people turned back from the way of God because of the division of the church? And I wonder how many people said, why go to church? Why go to church there? I can find bitterness and backbiting and lying in the world anytime I want to. Why in the world would I want to go sit with a bunch of people and act like I'm worshiping God? So this is a great concern for Paul and it ought to be a great concern for us in the day and time in which we live. When two brothers or sisters go to court allowing unbelievers to judge between them. The collateral damage to the kingdom of God can be so great that they can never come back from it. So Paul in verse 1, he, he uses strong language, I dare any of you. And then in verse 2 and 3, he says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels how much more things are the return to this life? Here's the concern. He said, because the saints will one day judge the world with Christ. If we're going to do that, as we prepare to get ourselves ready to do that in the millennium or whenever it happens as a result of that, then how in the world can he expect us to be able to work with him to do that if we're taking these little old piddling things down here and let it blow up in front of our face? That's what he's trying to say. 
Thus they should be able to settle the small things, the small squabbles among themselves. What does it take for a person when they know somebody has something against them to go to that person and just simply say, hey, can we have a cup of coffee? Can we sit down and just talk? That's what needs to happen. So Paul is saying that if we expect the Lord to, for, to us uh, use us in judgment of the world, and then he talks about in angels, then how in the world could we, we, we do this? How can he expect to do this if we cannot be trusted to take care of the small, insignificant matters for this as an act of disobedience, he also goes on to say. Now when Paul's talking about judging, he's not talking about when he talks about that we're going to judge the world and we're going to, and we're going to judge angels, he's not, talking, he, here's, he's not talking about we're going to be sitting there with, at the great white throne judgment and we're going to have a part in that. No. Because, you know, the great white judgment, they'll be lost. It'll be Jesus who does that. And the Bible tells us it'll be Jesus. No, this has to do with adjudication. It has to do with the affairs of the universe down through eternity. Especially in the millennium, when Jesus comes back and he sets up his kingdom, Paul gives us threefold reasons regarding the capabilities of believers to judge. They will judge the world. So if you can't handle the smaller things now, how in the world are you going to judge, help to judge the world? Or, or if they, if they'll judge, and they're going to judge angels. And, and, so, and then finally he goes over, which we won't get into tonight, but that's, that's chapter 6, starting with verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So you've got to understand, here, here, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, and you're going to take your affairs in front of these people? That's what he's saying. So in Matthew 25, the Lord said to him, well done. Here's, here, here it is, when you say judging, here's what it means. Well, he says to them, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What does that mean? I believe that when we get to heaven, one of the, one of the parts of that, as far as going to be, you know, we talked about, we talked about in, in chapter uh, 3, the, the uh, you know, the, the, the things that are going to be given to those people that really serve Christ, the rewards of those things. And I believe part of those rewards are going to be, he's going to ask you to take on a position or what in the millennial kingdom or whatever to, to take care of things. And I believe that with all my heart and soul. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by the grace of God. But I believe that how important it is because it talks about six building materials there. And if you're, if you're building materials of gold, silver, or precious stone, and they're tested by fire, mm, you, you know, what can you do? You can take it and make it into a crown. What do they do with a the crown? They took the crown and threw it at the feet of Jesus. But if they're wood, hay, and stubble, what happens? They're gone. So does this mean a Christian can never sue anybody? No. This is a provision for the kingdom of God. Remember what he said. He told us that we weren't supposed to judge who? Those people outside the kingdom those outside the church well now he just does the opposite who can we sue got somebody you want to sue <laughs> who, who can we sue we, we cannot sue a brother or sister in the church we want to try to work it out that's what it's got to be but it doesn't mean that if somebody or, uh, you know a company or whatever else has done something to you, and you got, or somebody, you know, whatever, and they're not a believer, then yes, it's saying that we can sue. We can take them to court. But that would be for an unbeliever. Now, 
But we shouldn't sue a brother or sister. There's alternative ways. Find a why. And, and, and there ought to be somebody in your church or here in our church that is wise enough that demonstrates the wisdom of the Lord that we could go to and sit down and would be a person that would go in between and try to help settle these kind of problems. That's what he's saying. He said, judge the world in verse 2. Christians will assist Christ in judging the world. Listen to what it says in Revelation 2.26. It says, and he who overcomes and keeps his works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. That's what it says. He also says, he also says in Revelation 3.21, listen to what he says. He says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That's what he says. We're going to be given a position. You know? Now, some people say, well, you, you preachers, you know, you think you're going to get a big position up there or whatever, you know. No, I don't think that. I think I'll be in the back of the line. You know, Billy Graham even said one time, you know, it says, when, uh, when, when you get to heaven, uh, and will God look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant? He said, I don't think I'll hear that. That's what he said. I, I, th- I really believe that there will probably be some little widow woman who was faithful to her church, faithful in reading the Bible, prayed for uh, uh, everybody in the world and prayed and saw so many prayers answered and was just kind and wonderful person. I think that's the kind of people that God's going to have in the front row. I don't think these guys got little slick hair and, you know, got the thing going for them. Had to have two jets and all this kind of... I won't say what I'm really thinking, but anyway, you know. So... You know, but the saints, listen, the saints are more qualified. Why are the saints more qualified than unbelievers? Because we have the truth. My message Sunday, next Sunday morning is going to be on truth. We have the truth. We have the Holy Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of God. We have resources sufficiently solved matters. God has given us that. He's blessed us with all those things. Verse 3, he says we're going to judge angels. Now, the word judge here can mean to rule or govern. The Lord himself will judge fallen angels. Listen to what it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved to, to, uh, for, for judgment, then that's what he's saying. He did not spare them. And then Jude chapter, uh, Jude ver- chapter 1, verse 6, there's not only one of the chapters there. And the angel who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of that great day. There's angels he's holding apart, waiting for that day. In verse 3, when he talks about judging angels, according to Hebrews 1.14, listen to what it just says. And this is great. Uh, you know, do you have a guardian angel? Yes, you do. I think when I get to heaven, my angel's probably going to punch me out. All the stuff I would call it. But listen to what it says in Hebrews 1.14. It says, it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? You have an angel. And the angel works to try to do what? He ministers to you. So that, why? To help you in things. And it's there. It seems reasonable that they will serve us in glory for angels. So in verse 4, when he, when he says, If they then have, have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? 
What's he saying? He's saying when Christians have earthly quarrels and disputes among themselves, it is inconceivable that they would take the matter to those who are least qualified in the church. You know, I'm, that's, that's why I believe that, that every person has three types of people in their life. Jesus did. What do you mean, Lee? Well, he had, he had a, one, he had a person that was a hireling. What's a hireling? A hireling is somebody that does what? That, they, uh, that they, they're being paid to do things. And he said the hireling watches the sheep because he's been paid. But when the wolf comes, what does a hireling do? He's out of here. He doesn't stay. Why are you getting paid? I'm not staying around to do that. Who was his hireling? Judas. That was who the hireling was. But he also, he also had, he had servants. Who were the servants? Eight disciples. Eight disciples were his servants. You notice how many times that Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, who would be considered his friends, he tells them, well, we're, we're going to go over here and pray, and he tells the other eight, wait over here. And he goes. And so as a result of that, who, who, the Peter, James, and John, who were now servants, what do they get to see? They get to see, they saw Jesus at his best. What do you mean? Who was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus when God's glory came down and he was just glorified? And there stood Moses, there stood Elijah. And, and as a result of that, you know, they stood there. And, of course, Peter spoke up and said, Lord, it's good that we're here. Let's build, let me build a house for, one house for Moses and one house for Elijah. And let me build a house for Jesus. And that's when the cloud came down and scared them all to death. And, and the Lord's voice came out and he said to, he said to, uh, said to Peter, uh, this is my beloved son, hear him. Now, what was he saying? It's Jesus only, guys. It's not Jesus plus anybody. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus. And so when they go down, they go down the, the other eight are down there waiting on them. So, so what, what are you talking about here, Lee? I'm saying that I, I, we all have, we have, we have, we have friends in our life that we can share things with, that we can tell things with. But there's also people that I won't, I won't tell certain things to. Why? Because I know what it's going to be. It's going to be on Facebook. It's going to be splattered all. It's going to beat me to the courthouse before I get out of here. So, so you don't tell everything. You go read the, and what Isaiah one time, he came back and he told, I, I can't think of the king's name. And he told him, he said, because the people from, uh, from Babylon came to him and they said, why, why, you know, he said, what did you show them? And they, he said, well, I showed them everything. Mm, he said, that's not good. Now, they, they didn't come until after he got older, but when they did come, they come and they took over. And that was, started the Babylonian captivity. So angels are ministering spirits. So is the unbeliever, so is the, um, so those who are least qualified, and so is the unbeliever. And see, this is what we don't understand. We don't understand until a person comes and be born again and the Holy Spirit comes inside them that they've changed then. Who is the unbeliever? That does not know spiritual things nor have the guidance of the Holy Spirit in matters. Remember what we were told in 1 Corinthians 2.14? It said simply that, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they're foolishness to him, nor can he know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. He doesn't have the... the the Spirit of God in him to be able to do this. The most legally untrained believer 
who knows the Word of God and are obedient to the Holy Spirit are far more competent to settle any disagreement between believers than the most experienced unbelievers, void of God's truth and God's Spirit. This is why we shouldn't listen to some of this stuff that we're hearing on the boob tube and all this stuff. Verse 5 and 6, I'm going to hurry here. It says, this, he says this to your shame. He says, such conduct of suing a fellow believer is not only sinful shame, verse 5, but it's a complete failure to act obediently and righteously. And so Christians who take fellow Christians to court suffer a moral defeat and spiritually lose even before the case is heard and they become subject to divine chastening. What does it say in Hebrews 12, 3? For consider him who endured such hostility from the sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged. Consider what Jesus went through. Consider what Jesus went through. And you, because, you know, for a few dollars, something, you're going to sue somebody. Verse 7, it says this. It says, now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? Paul says, why don't you be wrong? But the answer is because of your shameful sin and moral defeat. When we are willing to suffer for Christ, we demonstrate what we value, and that's his hymn. I think about that verse in 310 that Paul says, that I might know him. How do I get to know him? The next verse, part of that verse says, in the fellowship of his suffering. You want to walk with Jesus? You want to know Jesus? Praise God. I hope so you do. But let me tell you something. When you do, there are going to be some people not like you. They're going to people say lies about you. They're going to people say that you that you don't care about people, you don't love people. One of the emails I got this past week, I told that lady, I said, "Listen, I've spent my life trying to trying to talk people into coming to Jesus." And I said, "I've talked to all kinds of people. I didn't care what the color of their skin was. I didn't care what their sexual orientation was. I've done this all my life." But I get accused of not loving people, not caring about people. In verse 8, he goes on to say, he says, Know you yourself do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brother. The result of selfishness, a willingness to disconnect from God, his wisdom and his power and sovereign purpose, and to harm the church and the testimony of Christ's gospel. I remember a book that I, and Cricket and I were going on vacation. I don't know where we went to. Where did it, I don't know where it was. That, but anyway, I, I was looking for something to read, and I just, when we went to one of these million dollar book stores or whatever it was, you know, and I just reached and grabbed one off the shelf and, and looked at I started reading this stuff and I knew usually I, that's hard for me to do, but but this book I could not put down. It was called Under it was called Under the Sky. Under the Same Sky, I'm sorry. And it was all about this young boy in North Korea, nineteen ninety five in, in North Korea when they went through a, fam a famine. And this whole kid's life was one thing, trying to find something to eat. No matter what it took, where he had to steal, whatever else. He watched, he watched his mother sell his sister to give somebody something to, for, for food for their family. He watched his daddy die of starvation. I mean, this is... And, and, this was it. This is this is what you hear about. This is why when you fly over Korea, and you look, and North Korea is absolutely totally dark, and South Korea, which you buy anybody got driving a Kia, that's what you're driving. You're from South Korea. 
South Korea is lit up like crazy. Why? Because they gave their heart to Jesus. And there's a place over there called Prayer Mountain. I heard one guy say, man, I went over there and I was going to go over there and pray with them brothers. He said, I couldn't hang with them. He said, they were more, said they were, you know, said, they go on, they go pray for a month. He said, I couldn't hang with them. And this is what's happening. God's blessing them to peace, just like he blessed this country at one time. And, and so this young guy, he's trying to get out of North Korea and finally makes up his mind. He's going he's gonna to have to swim across the river. And it, the river, it takes him into China. And he has a friend giving him, advising him, telling him what to do. And he says, when you swim across the river and you get on the other side, he said, let me tell you what to do. He said, find a Christian. He said, a what? He said, find a Christian. He said, what's a Christian? He said, I don't know. He said, all I know is they want to help people. They want to do things for people. They'll help you in some way. They'll love on you. They'll take care of you. They'll feed you water. He said, that's a Christian. He said, find a Christian. He said, and when he got over there, he found this woman that was a Christian. He later was able to come to the United States and school and the whole nine yards. The testimony of Christ's gospel is tarnished when we fight and we argue with brothers and sisters. It's like Lot in Genesis 19:14. I hope this never happens to you. When he tried, when, when the angels came and told him, you and your family need to get out of here. We're going to blow this place to smithereens. And Lot, he, he goes out to his son-in-laws in verse 14. And he tried to tell his son-in-laws. And it, the Bible says he was the one that mocked at them. Or he, he, it was, and the old King James says he was the one that mocked at them. Or he, they thought he was joking. I, I wonder how many people that maybe we're going to go to that we're going to try to give our testimony to. They're not going to pay attention to us because they've seen the life that we've lived in compared to what we say. That's where it is. Is it far better to trust the Lord and sovereign purpose and lose financially than to be disobedient and suffer spiritually? That's the question that we ask tonight. In verse 8, you do wrong and you defraud. He's referring to those who sue their brothers and sisters being as guilty as those of the same misconduct who took the money from them or whatever they had. And they're suing to rectify it. You know, the problem is many times, and I think it, it, it goes over to, and I'll close with this, in Hebrews. But in the book of Hebrews, it talks about, it tells us simply, and it's in Hebrews, I think it's 10 or 12. I don't know which is it, which is it, 12. It's Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore also, since we're surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, which that's chapter 11, that's, that's all the people, the faith the chapter, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us, uh, so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, with, and run it with patience. And then it says this in verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And why is it that there are people that are upset and people are mad? I really believe it's because of this. When I come down here to the 15th verse, it says this. It says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, Least any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble by this many can become defiled. There are people that are mad at God because he didn't answer a prayer the way they did. 
The only way that can be rectified is you need to get alone with him, get on your knees and, and just tell him, Lord, this is why I feel water. And be brutally honest with him. Tell him what you really think. And after you do that, then you've got to take the word and you've got to get in the word and you've got to look for that anchor verse and you've got to find that's how God's going to speak to you. But why are they bitter? Why are they mad? They're mad because God didn't answer it. And they become bitter. And it's interesting to me that if you let bitterness come into your life in verse 15, listen to what it says in verse 16. Least there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his food. What does it mean? It means bitterness, I don't care what you say, will lead to other sins. So here's what I'm saying to you. I'm saying if you, you know, if things don't work out, then go to God, pour out your heart and tell him. The old time people used to call it praying through. That's what we need to do. We need to pray through until we hear the voice of God speaking to us and talking to us and saying, you know, this is it. And, and he gives you that word. And I don't know what you go to when you're having problems. For me, it's the book of Psalms. And I, I've told, you know, I know you all get tired of hearing what I got to say at times. But I went away and, uh, and I read 90-something Psalms. Because when I just pick the Bible up and I start reading it, you know what? I'm just reading the Logos. There's the Bible. This is what God says. Okay, I'm reading. But when I found that one verse, God took that verse and he pulled it off me and he stuck it right in my face and he said, this is for you. That's called a rhema. It's when God takes his word and he begins to speak to you. That's what you need to do. And Hebrews says that when we do that, we can have an anchor in the middle of our storm. And boy, that verse can pull you through when everything else is going south on you. It's what it can do. Well, we'll have a verse of invitation if somebody needs prayer. Somebody here that maybe if you're 